Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. What's up, Internet? And welcome back to the Engadget Podcast. I'm Senior Editor Devendra Hardwar. I'm Deputy Editor Sherlyn Lowe. This week, we are just going to get into some big news, some big changes happening in Engadget, folks. And uh, if you missed us last week, it's because of everything going on on our side right now. Mm-hmm. But let me just say up front, if you're enjoying the show, please subscribe to us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. That's always great. Drop us emails mm-hmm. at podcastengadget.com because you may have some feedback after this episode. So last week, as we were preparing to you know, record the Engadget podcast, we got the news that a whole bunch of people from Engadget were being laid off and our overall structure was being changed a bit. So we were all just kind of dealing with the whiplash of that last week and uh, we couldn't quite put a show together, I think, mentally. It was just kind of rough. I didn't know. Like, what was your feeling, Sherlyn, there? Yeah. Um, Devendra, you also know this, um, mm-hmm. but just for everyone <laughs> to kind of paint a picture. You know how I love to paint my pictures. Um, yeah, at about 8-ish a.m., some people across our team you know, started to have meetings with HR and, you know, that's never mm-hmm. a good sign. Mm-hmm. And I think by 9, 9.30 is when we started to get the extent of what was happening. And I will summarize for all of you what happened uh, just after this. But yeah, the, the first thing I told Devendra and Ben was like, hey, could we maybe at least postpone Yeah, let's maybe today? pause and then, yeah. I was like, maybe I'll be a little late. I'm finding out what's happening. And then afterwards, I was like, no, 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 no. Actually, I don't yeah. think we can even do this recording today. So that's what happened. It was a very last minute decision for us to not do the recording of the podcast last week. So I hope you all understand. Um, what overall did happen was we had layoffs of 10 individual people from the Engadget team. Um, mostly editorial. And that's a significant cut because our team was only like 30-something people at most. Uh, So it's about a third of our team. It includes people like our editor-in-chief, Dana Woolman, our managing editor, uh, Terrence O'Brien, our editor-at-large, James True, and then people across the team like Matt Bryan, who maybe you might not have heard him a lot on this podcast because he's based in the UK. And he's he managing in, like news over there. So He was an he was integral like part yeah. of the news team. Um, Brian O, our video um, head, and Joel Chikatsu, our other video produ- producer. Basically, we lost our whole video team. Mike Moore is our social media manager, as well as um, John Terry, our homepage editor, Katie Malone, our security Uh, senior security reporter and Richard Lai, our senior uh, reporter based in Asia as well. Mm -hmm. So a lot of them long time engaged people by the way. So many. I mean, John Turi, close to what, 15 years, maybe? Dana and Terrence were both 13 or 14 years and Richard 15, I think. Um, Brian and Mike closer to me in terms of timing. So more like seven or eight years. Katie had just joined. So that's not very. Yeah, yeah. Nice and Joel also had just joined and just it, it it felt like we were gutted. Um but I don't know what else really I mean, I, just, I think the yeah. main thing is that hey, this is rough and you've probably seen a lot of news reports going out exactly. because I've seen it's it's tough when you become the news because we are normally you know the people reporting on the news. Um, but you know, yeah, th- things are happening structurally. There are some changes too, right? Like our our team is being split into straight up news and features, and also a separate team for reviews and buying advice and things like that, commerce posts. So hey, we're organizationally going to be split up a bit. A lot of us are still here, Shalin and me and Sam Rutherford and. Uh, Aaron Saporis, um, a lot yeah. of the team are still here. And I think the main takeaway here is that Engadget's still here. We're still going to keep doing our thing. I have reviews that I've been mentally trying to like trudge through because also dealing with all this is, is not fun. But we are still here. We love to hear, you know, from our listeners and our readers about like 
what they're thinking about all this. But hey, it's not just us. Uh, media right now is kind of falling apart, right? We saw a whole bunch of layoffs at our sister site, TechCrunch. There was big news last week. Vice.com. Vice mm-hmm. is like falling mm-hmm. apart and laying off tons of people. And they also announced that they're not going to publish on Vice.com anymore. And uh, I think we even talked about like the mess happening at the Messenger and elsewhere too. So media is facing a lot of issues right now. Tech um, the gaming industry, like it, it's not great for any big corporations here. Uh, I do want to say when it comes to our coverage, nothing is really changing on our end. We, uh, we have talked to, uh, the people in charge and we, you know, have gotten assurance that there's like going to be no AI written posts, which is the thing that I think really affected CNET and the credibility of CNET and the other sites. Um, it's just not a thing we're doing thankfully. Um, But we're going to keep doing what we do, which is reviews, news posts, uh, thought pieces around that news. There's a great piece from Dan Cooper that we'll be talking about this uh, this episode. So it's going to be the same old Engadget, maybe fewer people uh, publishing on the site. But I hope, uh, you know, everybody sticks around because we're we're going to keep it going. Yeah, I can't stress how important it is. I think that if you're a person that's listening to the podcast right now, you're someone who likes the Engadget brand and you like us and you want us to stick around. I'm assuming if you don't, then like send me an email, man. <laughs> let's, let's chat. I'm why why did they to, come like, here hearing. to boo us? Yeah. <laughs> it's okay to me. It's if you're like Simpsons. this far in the podcast, you're still <laughs> listening. You probably mm-hmm. like us. Um, And I know that you know, a lot of people want to help and send their best wishes. You can always send that our way podcast at engadget.com. But I do want to say that I think what Devinder was talking about that's impacting the entire media industry is the result of, you know, Google's dominance in ads, in SEO and, and its control. And so you get people who are able to make little tweaks to their site and headlines and, and then take over, you know, other publications and that sort of stuff. I'm not a big fan of that, but I can't, you know, lie. It has a huge impact on yeah. how we have to be and operate. It, it's nothing um, new. It's not, like that has been around for new. 20 years, or, you know. It is nothing so. new. And yeah. like AI, that's nothing new, but it's also, you know, coming up. It's, however, not sustainable. I will tell you that me, Devendra, our whole team were dedicated to good quality work above everything. But we need people to be aware of that. We need people to be like keeping their eyes open and knowing how to discern between good quality work and not so good quality work and then continue to support by visiting the sites that you like. I'm not really doing anything here other than encouraging people to be a bit more like critical about the types of media they consume and uh, um, maybe a bit more like uh, aware of, of like things that you see out there. Um, And mm -hmm, that said, mm -hmm. you know, we are aware that SEO isn't like a long-term play. And we as a team are coming up with ideas as to how to survive (laughs) and how to (laughs) stick around. I mean, we we just had that discussion, Sherlyn, around the AI search engine too, right? And which was stripping ads and a lot of stuff from sites just to deliver information. I think that that is kind of part of it too. The shape of what search engines will be like, like Google is testing uh, AI results at the top of searches right now. Eventually, that will be the full play for them and a lot of other companies. We, so, yeah, the, the big takeaway we're here. Send us feedback. Yeah. If Google, you're listening, you talk to me. We'll talk about how, uh, let's, let's talk to me about how you're going to help us survive in this landscape mm-hmm, with your mm-hmm. AI search or, or Microsoft, you know, if you're listening to Apple, uh, hit me up. And if you're not any of those still and you want to like send us your support, you know, words of encouragement, we welcome it. Again, podcasting here, myself, Sherlyn, C H E R at, Engadget.com also, if you want to reach a smaller group, um, that's fine. I'll say if people people have been asking, like, how do we support us and make sure we're okay, you know, yeah, read the site like you're saying, Sherlyn, but also share things, talk about things. Um, we turned off comments a couple of weeks ago, too. That was a surprise decision to me. Um, but we can have a dialogue around stuff anywhere. So that's a whole thing. That's a whole separate thing. Like, I think comments on websites, um, I have seen the good and the bad. And I think ultimately, I'm like... Maybe maybe not worth it unless you have like somebody dedicated to building that community. So that's a that's a whole thing. But I hope people you know keep reading, share our stuff, and send us feedback. That's really everything. Review this for. podcast on iTunes. Yeah, review this podcast on <laughs> you iTunes. Want us to definitely. stick around? Yeah. Um, if you love a thing, support a thing. That's like the main thing I tell people. Uh, same with like you know media or pop culture. If you like it, buy it. Uh, I think that will show the people in charge that hey. Things are appreciated and uh, these listeners and readers exist. So with that, 
We're going to move on to news. We're going to have a normal episode as best we can. And uh, we're going to keep trucking at Engadget. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. So let's move on to some other news. And I think the big thing that was kind of revealed this week is uh, Bloomberg's Mark Gurman reported that the Apple Car Project, a.k.a. Project Titan, is dead is officially dead. Um, Nearly 2,000 employees who had been working it are going to be moved over to uh, Apple's artificial intelligence division, where they'll be working on generative AI stuff. Um, They're saying, like, Apple may say more about it later this year. Um, I have thoughts about this because I've been, I'm somebody who's been thinking about, like, where transportation sits and where EVs sit and for us right now. But, Sherlyn, I'm interested. What was your first thought hearing this? Did you ever think the Apple car was a thing that was actually going to happen? I... Maybe given the like the headspace I'm in right now, my immediate reaction was, "So who's going to be laid off? <laughs> did they, did <laughs> yeah. they get rid of a, that a bunch of people?" That is always the question. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, I I think that I I believe they made a lot of hires and were like researching it, but I don't think I ever thought I would see the day an Apple Car was launched. I mean, I think it would be intriguing, but they've never made a product of this size. I think there's a lot of moving parts to that sort of assembly, that sort of production that sure, like, sure, I don't sure. know that Apple is equipped to handle. I think they're more equipped to handle things like in the healthcare space or in the VR space. But a car, that's a lot. That's like lives at risk. That's so, true. This is true. But I mean, what is a car today, Shrillin? That is my question mm, to you. What is an electric no. car? It's a computer on wheels. And that is why we have seen a bunch of companies come out of nowhere to build pretty good electric cars. Like I just tested the Ravine R1S. Tesla has been around for over a decade. And I've got more to say about like Tesla specifically. Companies have proven they can come out of nowhere with very little like honestly personal experience too to build viable electric cars. And that's been an important thing because I think a lot of the traditional automotive like companies were just dragging their heels. Uh, We talked about the story about like Toyota, a company I typically love and support, um, but Toyota fell victim to the innovator's dilemma where they did so well with hybrids, like the Prius became such a thing. It became a symbol of eco-conscious drivers and whatnot. When it came time to be like, okay, we got to start thinking about EVs, Toyota's like, but we really like selling hybrids. People really like Priuses. And that was the question Apple faced as they were, like, developing the iPhone, right? Like, should we make this thing that will make people stop buying iPods? Is that actually a good thing for us? And, you know, Apple forged ahead. A lot of companies would be afraid to do this. And traditional, like, traditional car companies absolutely failed. So it was Tesla uh, who really, like, kicked the industry in the pants and uh, kind of got things started. And let's not talk about Tesla today. Because I think Tesla today is kind of a symbol of Elon Musk and his like own stupidity yeah. and his like downfall as a as a technological yep. leader and thinker. But here's my hot take, which I didn't have time to write about. But uh, Dan Cooper over, over at Engadget wrote a great thing about why the Apple car never felt real. My hot take is um, Tesla already built the Apple car. Tesla mm. did everything Apple traditionally would have done when entering a new market. It was very Apple-y, yeah. Yeah, they made it sleek. They made it premium. They infused it with computing throughout. And honestly, really smart features for the people who've had Teslas for the past 10 years. They have had crazy good features that other car drivers just never had access to. Tesla also completely disrupted the way you buy a car. Because you can't walk into a Tesla store and buy a car. You walk into the Tesla outlets and you can look at a car, you can test drive a car, and then you go back to the website and you buy it online. And the thing about the way cars work in America, it's insane. Like car dealers, like it's really, it has Mm -hmm. to be all through car dealers or major car manufacturers can only sell things through dealerships, which are, I'm sorry if anybody's listening to this and is a car dealer, but they're the scum of the earth. Like this whole, the whole like dealership setup 
is like a ridiculous farce in America. But because of the way we have things set up, it is illegal for car companies to directly sell you things. And that is what Tesla figured out too. So that was part of it, uh, being able to like configure your car online, get it delivered to your house. Um, they kind of upended the whole traditional car buying and selling platform. And I think that's a big part of it. And they also pushed ahead on key features, like say what you will about their self-driving stuff, uh, you know, full self-driving and whatnot. It's not great. It is not exactly what Elon Musk said it would be. I think Tesla overmarketed it and lied about a lot of this tech. But I also know a lot of people who have been using it smartly, who have been using it like very smart cruise control. They've driven thousands of miles and their cars on the highway will still do most of the work. And that is something a lot of car companies also ended up following, like Toyota and Volvo and others eventually adapted similar sorts of like driving assistance, you know, features and whatnot. But they're still not not as good as Tesla's. So Tesla built the Apple car, which is why the idea of an Apple car feels redundant. I think that's the thing. They're like, what else can Apple do? The early reporting was Apple is like, oh, we're working on the future of transportation. Uh, this vehicle doesn't have a steering wheel. Right. This is just something you sit in and it completely drives itself. And then I have you been paying attention to like the self-driving industry and all that stuff? Sure. Of of right. Like, yeah, <laughs> it fell apart. Like there was so much hype yep. a decade ago, even up to like yep. five years ago. Companies were investing billions of dollars in this and it yeah. kind of fell apart because it's a bigger problem. Killing people. No. <laughs> yeah. Well, cars kill people. That is another yes. unfortunate like downside exactly. of all this. But it's a harder problem than a lot of them solved. The tech we had to solve it wasn't quite there. And yeah, the self-driving cars are causing accidents or running over pedestrians. I will say the net amount of that compared to actual cars driven by humans that are doing dumb things and hurting people like is, is actually far worse. But the self-driving cars will get the headlines, right? Because it's a new thing. People are afraid of it. And it's just like that whole industry kind of fell apart too. So the latest report we talked about was... Apple's car could just be an EV, an EV from Apple coming in like 2028. And I think by that point, everyone's like, so what's the point? What's so Apple about it, right? I think that's the thing. You expect Apple to do something new and different, even looking at the Vision Pro, right? It is doing a lot of things differently, and I think smartly, even though it's still like dealing with a lot of the issues inherent with like VR headsets. So what do you, what do you think? Tesla made the Apple car, Sherlyn. Do you think, I think that I idea like checks out? Mm-hmm. I think I think more than just Tesla made the Apple car, you might be right in that Tesla made it so the Apple car is redundant. I think even more than, you know, like the one point, because I, I feel like, like you said, like, I don't want to give Elon Musk too much credit is really what it is. Um, he, but yeah, a lot of these features, it is very Apple-y. And in, in the same way that like when Apple does something, everyone else copies, Tesla did the same thing and everyone else copied. Like we, I see Tesla design in Rivian vehicles. I see it in, you know, Volvos or GM vehicles, like all kinds of things that, you know, every now and then I step into um, a show, like a booth at CES with a car and I'm like, oh, okay, this looks like a Tesla. Well, because so, they have a big, big ass tablet typically right and that was the thing right and then the very minimalist everywhere else the design though like the fact that they just want to like change door handles just because they can now i'm like all right well i guess we're gonna teslify everything that that is all about um drag coefficient and stuff like that Mm -hmm. so the whole thing with without the like streamlining the outside yeah you want to streamline so a door handle is like these things that poke out and kind of like mess up with your airflow so in an ev like a lot of them most of them now they kind of go flush with the car and they're annoying i was watching i'll admit yeah I was watching a um, video, and this is a slight tangent, but like about an interview with the makers of the Cybertruck, and they were like, "Oh yeah, they wanted to turn their like um, side mirrors into cameras instead of like using actual mirrors." And I was like, "Are you serious? The lag alone will kill you." Like, I mean, a lot of a lot of <laughs> some cars are doing that now, Sherlyn. So I do not. It's a thing. I'm that, like, that okay. cute little Honda, the cute little like Honda two seater that uh, Steve Dent tested in France. Like, yeah, it, it yes. It's weird. I mean, that yeah. plus, like, if you run out of battery <laughs> or, like, there's some kind of feed malfunction, you're dead. Like, you're dead. Okay. I mean, listen, it's a, it's a whole other thing. But if somebody goes yeah. by and smashes your side mirror, which is super easy True. to do, True. you're still you're right. you're screwed yeah. in that respect, too. Mm. Uh, but you're right. A lot of people did copy what Tesla did. I think Rivian is a really interesting company to look at right now. The, the R1S and the R1T, their electric truck and SUV have been really favorably reviewed um the customers getting them generally love these things like these are high quality cars made from a company that was working on it for i think 
about a decade and was quiet about it for a very long time. Um, but it seems like they're going through trouble. Like they're going through trouble when it comes to actually selling these things and building these things. I'm just looking at their market cap, which is like a, it's 11 billion now for Apple to, to Apple. That's, that's kind of nothing. I feel like that, that could be an interesting just chomp, like a nice bite for Apple at some point just to deal with a lot of the problems that they apparently had while designing a car on their own, like just to take over a lot of what Rivian does and then implement the Apple stuff. That's a whole thing. Um, people have pointed out like uh, Amazon is actually the current, I think the current largest outside investor in Rivian um, because, and they're also using Rivian like delivery vans, which you may see around. Like those are the Amazon fans that look kind of cool and electrically. Um, so Rivian like may go to somebody else, but I feel like if Apple were to do anything, it would probably be a company like Rivian. I think it's still worth doing. Like, if you live in a city, you probably don't have to deal with this a lot. But anybody outside of a city, as I learned when I moved to to the suburbs of Georgia, is like you, you need a car. You need something good that can take care of your family. You need it to be safe and reliable and to take you places and make you feel comfortable driving to and also not kill the environment. So America's car-centric culture, that's not going to change anytime soon. I would love for this to lead to like more public transportation stuff down the line. But I think there's a lot of good reasons for Apple to try to pursue this. It just seems like it seems weird for them to just completely give up, but maybe they just couldn't do it on its on their own. I, I feel like I'm that's like, it. Yeah. yeah, or donate that money or something. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just really, really, I think stung about like how people spend money now. And it's like, I mean, cool. these companies gotta you, you gotta spend money, but apparently it was uh, ten years and billions of dollars, multiple leadership changes that led to like this ultimate decision from Apple. Who knows? We don't know what what any of this really means. Um, but I do want to point out to go go check out Daniel Cooper's editorial about this, about why the Apple Card never felt real and why it never quite fit in with the Apple image. You know, if you're trying to be an ecocentric, uh, you know, company that cares about the environment, putting out a car, which uh, even if it's an EV, will require a lot of batteries. Right. Like it'll require a right. lot of minerals to deal with. Uh, tires, tire. What tires leave on the road and put into the air is a thing more and more people are talking about and apparently is going to continue to be a problem with EVs. So those are all things Apple and other EV makers will have to consider. Um, I'd be interested in hearing if anybody was anybody looking forward to an Apple car. Are you disappointed about hearing this news? Uh, Apple is still in other cars right now. Don't forget, like CarPlay is a big thing. I think for a lot of people, CarPlay is the preferred way to uh, to like interface your phone and the next generation CarPlay that I think they debuted for some uh, Mercedes cars, the one like takes over a whole bunch of your screens. Um, that looks really cool. So maybe that's all Apple needs to do for now. But I don't know, as a fully integrated hardware and software company, it feels like at some point you got to have your own car. You got to do or at least be really close to a company that's doing that. Sony teamed up with Honda to build their, uh, was it a Fila car? So like right. that is a thing that could end up happening. Um, all these companies are kind of exploring that. So, hey, we shall see. If you have thoughts about this, drop us an email at podcast at Engadget.com. We also saw a rumor um, a report from last week where there's some stories we're like carrying over that we didn't get to talk about. Uh, but we are hearing details about Nintendo's Switch follow-up, the Switch 2 or whatever they end up calling it. Uh, it may not actually arrive until 2025. And the reporting I've read is that it sounds like Nintendo cannot make enough to satisfy potential demand if they were trying to get it out for the holidays. So rather than have like a crazy big stock crush or something, uh, they're just pushing in a couple months into 2025 um, for whatever this thing ends up being. So a more powerful Switch, maybe with some new features, will likely get announced at some point this year. I think it would be interesting if Intel does this, or sorry, if Nintendo does this, because it literally means like, oh, you're just giving up the holidays. You're telling people don't buy a Switch this Christmas. Right. And I feel like Nintendo would be one of those rare companies that's like, yeah, well, you know, we'll just deal with that because we know you're going to buy a Switch 2 whenever we announce it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have any thoughts, Sherlyn? Because I know you are a Switch player. You're a big I, cooking I, mama player. I don't player. know. I mean, my current Switch works fine. I have to be convinced, right? Like, they'd have to bring, you know, a lot to the table. So, I guess giving them more time to do that and how, love, using that time to save some money, I guess, to, is not a bad thing to me. Um, but, yeah, I, I came at it as a 
very practical <laughs> perspective instead of like, oh yeah, technologically or as like a sort of gamey person, I am interested. <sighs> I don't know. There's a lot out there in the handheld like there's so you know, much out gaming there space. The competition is so tough that I actually don't, you know, I don't mind them taking the time to like regroup and be like, what can we do better? You know? It is amazing that the Switch is a piece of hardware that came out on March 1st, 2017. Yeah. Um that is yeah. that is a while ago. And yeah, we are still running dangerous. pretty much the same hardware. The refresh that they added, um, I, I think they like made the G- the actual system on a chip a little slimmer and added a more capable battery, like it's more efficient. Um, so the newer Switch models have slightly higher battery life. Um, but that same basic hardware is what's in devices, you know, still right now. And they can play amazing looking games like Zelda, Breath of the Wild, and Tears of the Kingdom. So, hey. Shit, good so- for them, you know. <laughs> good for them. Maybe you yeah. don't, uh, Nintendo, again, the company that's like, hey, you don't have to play this rat race. You don't have to be like Microsoft, who's like, we got the most GPU horsepower in this box, so you should. our box is better. Uh, I've always appreciated how Nintendo is very different about this stuff. Um, uh, yeah, this uh, the original Switch ran a custom version of NVIDIA's Tegra X1 chip, which is a thing we don't even talk about anymore. <laughs> like Tegra NVIDIA's X1 Tegra now. chips, um, or Tegra, or however you pronounce it. Um just just amazing stuff. Uh, I'm excited about the Switch 2, but like I've said before, I'm a Nintendo fanboy. Like, I will I will just be on it. Whatever whatever they end up doing. I bought a Switch OLED last year because I was just like, well, I want to play Tears of the Kingdom on the best-looking Nintendo handheld I can get. Uh, so that that is what we're doing right now. My daughter and I are playing that together. I also bought this cool little... Um, I forget the company that did it, but the company that... One of the companies that made, like, a cool uh, controller extension to, like dock your switch into and have better buttons and whatnot uh i'm using one of those and that also makes the experience better so i'm still investing in this technology that is way way too old uh (laughs) similarly related uh, there was a lot of news last week about uh, actually i guess two weeks ago at this point but a lot of follow-up news last week about what microsoft is doing in the console business um a couple weeks ago microsoft revealed that they're bringing four games to other platforms uh, we learned that that would end up being something like, um, I believe, Sea of Thieves coming to uh, coming to PlayStation Five, um, High Five Rush also coming to PlayStation Five. Also, Pentiment would be coming to Nintendo Switch and PlayStation Five too. So these are games that Microsoft says are over a year old. They've been a part of their like Game Pass platform too, um, but hey, they saw value in opening it up to other platforms which have more players. PlayStation 5 is vastly outselling Xbox at this point um, to open it up to other gamers to let them just buy that thing if they want. Um, I guess that just makes sense because Microsoft people, a lot of people forget they have Minecraft out there on other platforms. They have games that they they make and produce available on other consoles. This isn't exactly new from them. Our editor, Aaron Saporis, wrote a really interesting think piece uh, saying Microsoft should exit the console business. And... I think there's some good thoughts in there. I don't know if you have, do you have thoughts about this, Sherlyn? Because right now, Microsoft is kind of losing it in consoles. The Xbox is is dying against the PlayStation 5. And it feels like Microsoft has lost this entire generation. Do you think there's value in Microsoft still having a box out there compared to, you know, Sony and Nintendo? Yeah, I think there's value in competition, right? I mean, again, to be like, pontificating on the entire world at large like we've seen what happens when competition dwindles we've seen you know all of that stuff happen so i think and microsoft is a big name i can see that microsoft might be heading towards like relying more on software and game titles and that's and and, you know developing um more games to sustain its business and on other parts of its business i could see how microsoft hardware is struggling as well so like for it to abandon hardware completely could save it a lot of money and that sort of stuff. I don't know though. I think I think there is a world where Xbox fans are going to be very disappointed if that happens. I don't disagree with Aaron though. I think he makes a very good point. Um, but I I would like mm-hmm. to see like a different competitor come up before Microsoft leaves. If I, that makes sense. I totally agree. We are thinking the same line, Sherlyn. Uh, I think like the headline of. Aaron's piece, and I wish he was here to like uh, talk about it with us. Yeah. Uh, but the I'm sure on a whiteboard somewhere in Microsoft's office, this idea is out there. Like among the things they could do is just leave consoles, you know, and that would save them a lot of money. It would probably save them a lot of headache. They would probably still make a ton of money, you know, uh, bringing 
games than PlayStation and Nintendo and everything, but you'll never like those systems will never support Game Pass. Like if Microsoft wants to mm-hmm. make Game Pass right, like, right. A thing, I see that you're right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They need to have their own thing. And Game Pass right now is available on a handful of TVs separately. I think some uh some Samsung TVs. But it's still very much PCs, a thing. PCs, I guess, right? Hmm? Yeah. PCs, right? I mean, well, no, definitely machines. PCs. But I'm talking about like yeah, in yeah. your living room, on your couch. Right, right, uh, Game Pass right. is okay. right now on some TVs and on Xbox consoles. I think the idea of what a piece of hardware could be in a couple of years could be very different. Like, could, could Microsoft just market a really cheap dongle that you pair a controller to uh, that lets you play games over the cloud if that stuff ends up being better? That I think would be so cool, yeah. It would be cool. Their cloud gaming like works really well. Um, I'm not sure if that's ready for everybody. That's not fully ready for the mainstream because not everybody has a great internet connection, but that could I, change, you know? I will say this right now. There was like an Xbox gaming stick that cost less than the console. I would be I would buy it now. For like sure, for it, sure. especially especially because like I don't have the space or the money to really want to buy an Xbox or PlayStation, but I would buy a dongle. Um, a dongle. The way, like, I guess, I guess when like Google wanted to make Stadia happen, they they kind of did like Chromecasty related things with it. They they did that. They did, but like I that, guess that's how you now, exactly don't do any of this stuff. God. Don't just Frickin do that. Google. I guess don't. also Google. I feel like Google just didn't have the titles to really back up. Like, they had some good you, titles, but, that, but what Google did uh, to to refresh everybody was like, "Hey, buy this thing. We'll also subscribe to our service, but also you got to buy, buy these games separately. You right, also right, have right. to buy these games." And I think it's Microsoft's whole thing is just like, "Hey, if you buy this one hundred dollar dongle, right, which comes with a controller and maybe three months of Game Pass, and after mm-hmm. that, I would do that. You pay yeah. fifteen dollars yep. a month to play games over the." Mm-hmm. Out, I could see that being a thing. Mm-hmm. I could see instead mm-hmm. of playing the high-end rat race uh, against Sony's boxes, uh, and even right now, like Phil Spencer, the head of Xbox, uh, says that Microsoft has some uh, genuinely powerful hardware coming down the line. I don't think any of that—that's not what they need. They—they they, they don't need more power. Like they have a ton of power. The Xbox Series X is technically more powerful than the PlayStation Five, but they don't have the games people really want to play like that's the ultimate thing they've lived through a lot of delays with this platform halo infinite was delayed by over a year so it was supposed to be there at launch they don't have a lot of great exclusives a lot of the great games are available on both playstation and xbox so if you're a gamer who can only buy one new console you will you're better off going playstation 5 because you get those crazy good sony exclusives like spider-man and last of us and everything Mm -hmm. um whereas microsoft is like i don't well, you could buy this box. We also have a cheaper box. You could also get a PC that'll, you know, that'll mm-hmm. also work with Game Pass, right. uh, some of those subscriptions, and they will also sell you games on PCs. Um, would They're kind of like yeah. the Apple and Google of uh, gaming, aren't they? <laughs> like, uh, I mean, PlayStation has a lot more vertical control and like fewer maybe like branches of where you can play their games i guess and then microsoft has like all these different platforms you can like and it's more open, i mean microsoft whatever. is the microsoft of the console market like it's what they did with pcs right um yeah, yeah. i almost wonder if like they sold a box for lynn that was like okay if you still want a powerful 500 box here is an xbox it can also run windows like a computer like i like i just would attach a mouse and keyboard. it's an xbox it's a 500 xbox that can also run Windows like on your desk or on your living room or something. Would that be a thing to some people? I feel like for tinkerers, they would be like, oh, that's now that's interesting. I could see a niche for that yeah. for sure. I mean, not for me, but yeah. Not for you who loves Windows and PCs. Uh, I do love Windows, but I yeah. don't want to work on my TV. <laughs> I you don't, don't want to really... work on your TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You were absolutely right. But what if what if that was something that could just be hooked up to like a gaming monitor instead of your TV? What if it was more like a portable gaming PC rather than no, I do like a the box. idea. Yeah. You're right. Like because it comes with Windows, it could run a lot more applications. So I could run like Steam games. I could run like um, Plex on there to a bigger screen or something. I don't know. I could see that being intriguing. I f- don't know if there are already things out there that do that. You know, like a mini PC can oh, do that. There are absolutely mini stuff, PCs like, out there, but there aren't like any with the power of Microsoft or like the ability to like get hardware cheaper than everybody else. Uh, we never really got a full on like Surface desktop, right? We never got that. We got the we got the Surface Studio, which is the tilty iMac thing. But just give me a box that's filled with hardware and like is Microsoft like approved? an all-in-one? Yeah. Oh no! Not oh, even oh, all-in-one. Like just the box. to the Mac Mini. Yeah. Uh, okay. mm. So anyway, I think, um, like you were saying, 
there are really, there are a lot of good reasons to keep doing hardware. Like I don't want Microsoft to leave this industry and just be like, okay, uh, the only console makers now are Nintendo and Sony. That is not a good thing for anybody. Even though the Sony fanboys will like take that as a huge win, that's not a huge win when Sony's like, oh, okay, cool, games are eighty dollars now. There's no competition. Suck it. Like that's literally what they will do. So this is why competition is better and other companies driving down prices is better. Um, so yeah, we will see. There's a lot of stuff going on there. What do you think about all the Google generative AI stuff now, Sherlyn? Because we wanted to talk about that last week as well. Yeah. Um, so r- last week, early last week, I think we all heard from Google um, that a, a series of things. One is that they were renaming a bunch of their AI to Gemini across all of their other products as well. So like Duet AI for Businesses is now called Gemini. It's now called Gemini. Um, and also there's a thing called Gemma, which is an even right. lighter weight AI. Right. I think that, that even happened the week before. I can't mm-hmm. remember when exactly because everything feels like a I think blur it was like now, the day but like, before, but it, it's all like all happened around yeah. the same time. Gemma, to be clear, is more of a like a lighter weight open source version of Gemini. Um, so it's like for people to kind of tinker around with, I guess, to play with. Um, but well, yeah, the, the fact that That's their naming game. standards are. Mm-hmm. Sorry, go on. Well, Gemini is fr- or Gemini or Gemma is meant to be free. You're saying open source mm-hmm. too. So Gemini is a thing mm-hmm. you have to pay for. Like, I think that's the other thing we're seeing right now. Yeah. Right. The, the fact that they exactly. So I don't, I mean, damn, a lot of stuff is happening in this space. Um, so Google renaming things and launching new things named Gemma and stuff like that. You can tell like, you know, G-E-M, right? Gem is part of their uh, whole desire uh, to kind of, I guess like a, you know, brand recognition. I don't know. B- something. Will, will the feature thing just be called Gem? Because it seems like they're just getting smaller and smaller right now. And then Google G, just we go right back around so, in history to Google G. <laughs> if you if you think about, um, if you look at actually what Google uh, said when it uh, sh- like announced Gemma stuff, it did base the word Gemma on like Gem. Like the name, the naming rationale behind it was based on like this kind of like, um, I forget the etymology behind it. It's like either some kind of Greek mythology or some kind of <laughs> okay. like rock formation. I forget which one right now because it's been a while. Um, but yeah, and I mean, amidst all of that renaming, like the big, great big AI renaming over at Google, um, we also, I think last week, saw in the news cycle that Google's image generating AI just could not for the life of them figure out how to like produce historical figures that were not like diverse for some reason for no reason really um i think we were seeing that um i'll say specifically conservative commentators funny enough we're really quick to find that these generative ai uh image things were not we're not creating images of white people especially for historical exactly yeah that was a problem to get direct about it yeah Yeah. gemini would refuse to produce results for prompts that specifically request for white people so like if you say generate a you know picture of a america's founding couple standing in front of an airplane it would work a chinese couple standing in front of a, a chinese person on a basketball court sure but if you say like caucasian person or white person standing somewhere they just could not do it um, and in addition, Gemini had issues producing historically accurate images. So like users would be like, can you show me image, can you produce an image of a German soldier during the second world war? Gemini would give you pictures of black men and Asian women in Nazi uniform, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is completely inaccurate. Completely inaccurate. Um, if you ask for pictures of, found, of the founding fathers of America, right? It, it's all, uh, yeah, I think it was entirely black. Yeah. And then popes throughout the ages. These yep. are some prompts that like came up as examples and you would always just get people of color in these like images. Um, so Google last week had to address that. So first thing <laughs> they did was kind of to shut down the feature. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. And then it promised to... First, it promised to fix, I think. Then it had to pause the feature altogether. And then later in the week, uh, it published a blog post explaining why all of that happened. Devendra, I don't know about you, but uh-huh. do you like when a company explains why things got messed up? Sure. I mean, listen, if you if you mess up, that is the least you could do. I feel like that is a fair thing to do. Um, I quite enjoy, yeah. Yeah. actually, that they enjoy that they decided to explain. Yeah, and it, it I really, really, yeah, it, it seems like it was like a diversity trigger or filter that was just like a little overexposed, I guess, or like was a, mm-hmm. working a little too hardcore. Uh, Sender Pichai, the Google CEO, uh, you know, said that it was unacceptable and they're going to like, you know, work on 
work on fixing whatever is going on here. Um, I just have to say, listen, this is a problem. This is a bug. This is going to get fixed. I did love to see the Babylon B writer, which is a notoriously like shitty conservative rag, um, be like, I can't. Oh my God. Google's, Google's <laughs> getting rid of white people. Everything we're they saying is true. Can you? Oh my God. And seeing them like whip themselves up into fervor is, uh, is uh, kind of hilarious. Uh, but okay. And also Google as a company, by the way, uh, caught shit for uh, its AI features, which like a decade ago would tag pictures of gorillas as black people. So God, God, Google yeah, has no, been that... in, under fire because their AI was not good enough for actually seeing people, you know, people of color. Uh, now it's just like tilted a little hard the other way. The other problem, though, is that this stuff is just getting out there way too early. Like Google could have tested this if they weren't like rushing to compete with Copilot and everything. Google should have tested this. Uh, this is something any company would have run into. It didn't take like a, a Babylon B writer to kind of figure that out. So I hope this is an awareness that, hey, we should just test this stuff more and maybe slow your roll, everybody. I'm so tired of them. Anyway, I think the big takeaway here is, uh, yeah, people just got to chill out with AI stuff and maybe test this stuff a little more. And a lot of the warnings we've been talking about over the last year end up end up being very very true it's gonna be interesting to see what with what happens with the uh, copilot trillion and like how much more uh, microsoft is leaning on it i actually just did uh i subscribed to the copilot pro feature because it finally showed up on my desktop so i'll, I'll see if having chat gpt4 is more worth it or not we'll, I, i'm yeah. sure it'll show up in your articles that you find <laughs> Yeah, all my no, I don't, I don't use no, it. No, we're not using use AI it for to writing. Write. Let's reiterate we, we don't that. Do that. One cool tool, AI. I got to look up the name for that, but we did see a cool tool recently where, like, you could drop your, um, drop your, your text stuff you've written in, and like, it will have like an AI editor judge the quality of your copy. And to me, that is kind of interesting, just to have like another pair of eyes be like, hey, you're too repetitive, bruh. Change up your language. Uh, make this opening more impactful. Some for a budding writer that could be useful. And again, this is one of those things we have to do where we're like, we have to figure out how we're using AI tools to more empower us rather than do the work for us. I guess. Let's move on to what's happening around in gadgets. Um, as we said, we've got a 20th anniversary coming up. We have a bunch of pieces timed up around that. Anything you want to say about that, Trillin? So yeah. Um... It will kick off starting this weekend. Uh, again, our birthday itself is March 2nd. Um, and there are plenty of articles from around the team, including Devendra. I know you have a fun, well, a good story coming up. I'm working on something that will come up a bit later. But it will be like a, a month of coverage uh, as opposed to kind of what we were thinking just a week before. Um, just given everything that's been happening uh, with our team lately, we needed a bit more time to kind of edit, put things together um, while we pick up the pieces. So keep an eye out. I think it's going to be a reflective look on the last 20 years that uh, Engadget has been around. Um, Devinder, you've been with Engadget longer than I have. You know, we've all watched the industry change. I think it's a very interesting time to be celebrating 20 years or celebrating Commemorating. 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 I mean, listen, it's been, I don't know when you started reading in Gadget Shirlin or blogs in general. Forever like, ago, I, don't, yeah. I don't know. I don't, I'm not going to ask yeah. where you were in 2005 uh, or 2004, Singapore. like when all this started. Um, but I was reading it. I'm yeah. not even going to ask, Shirlin. I don't even want to to time you or anything. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I will say, uh, I was like, you know, that was late college for me. And I was also reading technology sites. Like, I've read places like, um, I think it was Ars Technica was around forever. Mm -hmm. um, Anantech was around forever. Tom's Hardware. All those places were like sites I used to read. And then like Engadget hit and Gizmodo hit. And these were like small and nimble blogs that were just like blowing news out there, like getting quick and dirty hits out, thoughts out there, reviews out there. And it was so exciting at the time. And I remember like for years uh, after college, like I would apply to positions at Engadget or positions at Gizmodo would never hear back. I'm still a little mm. bitter about that now. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I would apply and like this was the exciting thing. Everybody wanted to get into like doing, if you were trying to do media stuff, like blogs were exciting because they were new and nimble and different and not a boring old company. Um, and I think like that's clearly changed over time. And I think ultimately there was a flattening online where blogs ended up being you know, absorbed into bigger media companies. But also the idea of like the trouble blogs have in terms of making money it's the same trouble everybody has. It's, unless you're the New York Times and you have a huge uh, pile of like subscribers, it is a problem for everybody if you're just relying on ads and things like that, which is why you're seeing more paid newsletters. You're seeing all sorts of things now. 
it has been a crazy time, but Engadget is still here. And yeah, hopefully we will be here for much, much longer. All right, let's move on to our pop culture picks for the week. Uh, things that we're enjoying. Shirley, anything you want to shout out? Yeah, I saw, uh, finally, I saw Poor Things over the weekend. Nice. It was a really good distraction from the mm-hmm. sh- hellscape. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, Emma Stone. Uh, I didn't even. I'm the. I have this bad habit of going into like movies not expecting anything, not knowing who's actually in the cast. <laughs> so I wasn't expecting Willem Dafoe. <laughs> I wasn't expecting. I wasn't expecting Mark Ruffalo. Mark like Mark Ruffalo, Ruffalo showed up. Yeah. I, he's amazing mm-hmm. in poor things. I turned around and was like, wait, Mark Ruffalo's in this? And mm-hmm. then like people were like, shush. Um, uh, <laughs> a lot of nudity was, yeah. that I wasn't expecting. Um, so, you know, don't watch this with your kids. Mm-hmm. But or your a parents, very interesting. I would say. Or your parents. Yeah. Depend- I don't Just know what kind careful. of relationship you have with your parents. You know, but I as long as a, you, you know, you this respect. is a, I think a lot of people do not expect this, but this is a bit, this is a movie big on sexy times and, uh, you know, yes, depends yes. on how so comfortable I, you are with that. With your yeah. Brain. I re- recommend respecting the, whatever the rated R sort of situation is over there. Just don't bring kids because it might not be appropriate or you might have to have a talk with them after. But anyway, uh-huh. it is about, I, again, I thought it was a science fiction, like fun, like time travel mm-hmm. show. Well, not time I travel, misread. maybe period. Right? I know. It's a period. It's, I, I misread the synopsis, uh-huh. but I will say the the science in this, it's less about the, actually the science sort of preposition and more about, it is it is still, like it's about this woman um, is almost Frankenstein in nature, the way the story is told. And um, it's in an alternate world where like science has developed very differently than what I expect. So you've got like chimeras just like casually popping out throughout mm-hmm. the show, which is really interesting. Um, but it is about like interplanting, I guess, like human organs in different parts of different animals, even or different parts of bodies. And um, yeah, I don't. I'm trying not to like give away things, but I I think the basic premise is that you know that Emma Stone's basically this person that has like a different, mm-hmm. like a, a grown woman's body, but like not the same brain, right? Yeah. And then like she's experiencing the world, and the story was a lot different from what I expected. In that it was not like a breakneck pace adventure of time travel and spies. It's more <laughs> how does a person, how did you get time travel and spies from anything? I don't this know. Movie? I don't know. But okay. I was like, yes. Um, Whatever it is, though, it was really well acted. Um, made me question a lot of things that I know about the world. Beautiful, just the sets and everything, like the the even the like editing and the colors and everything, just gorgeous. And then I had to like really look at the book. I was like, the book that was based off of this nineteen ninety seven or something nineteen ninety four book called Poor Things. I was like, wow, who came up with this idea? It's a very fresh, like, I think it's fresh. If I don't know if you agree with me. Doug. No, it's very fresh. I loved it. It is very much Frankenstein. And I don't know if you've ever read Mary Shelley's Frankenstein show. And it is a thing. Worth Might reading. have when I was younger. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, listen, uh, basically widely acknowledged as like the first science fiction book ever made. Yep. Right. Um, yep. And written by women. And that's something that the sci-fi has never really like fully embraced. I think, like, the idea of this movie is, like, it is a very, like, almost feminist take on the idea of Frankenstein and bringing a creature into the world. But also bringing a creature who has to, like, learn about the world and learn about, okay, what kind of person do I want to be? What philosophies do I want to follow? How do I build myself up? I think it's really, really fascinating and a lot of fun, too. Like, it's gorgeous. So Um, much fun. It's gorgeous. It's funny. I never... Yeah. I love that the MCU people that I've loved, like Mark Ruffalo, Robert Downey Jr., uh-huh. have all been getting their moments to like really flex sort of some other muscles. So like Mark Ruffalo leaning hard into comedy was not something I was really expecting. He's been like, I know him from like 13 going on 30, right? Like that's my very first like <laughs> okay, memory okay. of Mark Ruffalo. Mm-hmm. And then to watch him become Hulk and be like a bit humorous to like fully almost slapstick, I feel like, in, in Poor Things. It's hilarious. Um, yeah. And then... To have him like do that, and then Robert Downey Jr. winning for Oppenheimer was awesome too. The other thing I would say is like I didn't know that the SAG Awards was streaming live on Netflix. Um, I did go back to watch the awards show. I think it's worth watching. It's actually pretty fun. I heard to, it was like, good. Yeah, all the different speeches that were made um, were really interesting too. So, so if if this if you're not going to go see poor things, maybe check out the SAG Awards because you get like a sense of what's out there, what's worth watching too. Cool, cool. Thank you so much. I'm glad you got to see Poor Things. Uh, I want to shout out Doom Part 2, which I hope everybody's planning to see this weekend. I was trying to watch Doom Part 2 and then couldn't watch it, so watch Poor Things instead. <laughs> Have you seen Doom Part 1? 
Yes, I love Doom Part 1. Okay, yeah. so Doom Part 2 literally starts where the last one left off, which is good because I feel like Doom Part 1, the biggest problem is it just kind of ends and it feels like yeah. there was more story we were supposed to get like right there. Um, I love this movie. I think Denis Villeneuve is a, is a genius and this is a two hour and 46 minute long movie and I sat there and I was like, I did not even feel it. I did not like I could I could have been there for another two hours. I just love being in this world and how richly represented uh, it is like it is such a luscious, real feeling uh, world that Villeneuve has built. And this is more of an action movie than the first one. So the first Dune is like contemplative and setting up the plot. And it's like, oh, there's a big battle. And like you see, God, I um, loved it. Yeah, I loved it. I love like just feel the feeling of being in it. And the uh, universe building was beautiful. I liked beautiful that stuff. a lot. Um, like classic filmmaking, I'd say. So I'm glad the first movie was a success. Um, I'm hoping people check this out. And if you do end up seeing this, go to like the biggest goddamn theater you can find. The biggest screen in your vicinity. So like full IMAX is a thing. Uh, I saw a press screening at a Dolby, uh, a Dolby AMC screen. And I really like the Dolby mm. cinemas because they have Dolby Vision. They also have They're like great. these rumbly seats uh the seats have transducers uh transducers in them so it's almost like haptic feedback for low-end uh, frequencies when things rumble and i will tell you this movie has used those rumblers more than anything like i've ever <laughs> seen before like you know no no big spoiler here but we we all know from the trailers this is a movie where you know people are going to be riding on sandworms and there's a major scene mm -hmm, where somebody mm -hmm. is like learning how to ride a sandworm that is it felt like I was going to a massage parlor for like 30 minutes. It was just like, oh, my back is just like, oh, this feels amazing. It's just like high, heavy duty rumbles. So go there. I, I'd recommend the Dolby Cinema for that just because it feels amazing. Um, but yeah, any big screen, you know, that you can find for this thing is going to be amazing. I cannot wait to go back and see it again. I hope I have time to. Uh, let's do part two. It's good stuff. It's good classical epic science fiction filmmaking. And we do not have enough of this. So I'm so glad that these things, these movies are able to be made. So glad Villeneuve is around to make them. Well, that's it for our episode this week, everyone. Thank you, as always, for supporting us. Our outro music is by our former managing editor, the great Terrence O'Brien. This podcast is produced by Ben Elman. You can find Devendra online at... Uh, Twitter threads wherever mastodon blue sky all over the place i also podcast about movies and tv at the filmcast.com if you need me i am available everywhere you can send me an email chgr at engadget.com hit me up on x slash twitter chgrlynnlow or threads instagram at Instagram. uh you know how to spell my name Email us your thoughts uh, about this show at podcast at engadget.com. Leave us a review, please, on iTunes and subscribe on anything that gets podcasts. 